0: Episode of the It's Murder Y'all podcast. I'm your host Amber, and with me today is Dale Earnhardt superfan, aka my husband Rob. Say hey, Rob.
1: Raise hell, praise Dale. How about it?
0: I knew that's what you are going to say. <laughs> this week, we are still in the volunteer state. There's some
1: respect on his name.
0: <laughs> You're killing me. This week, we are still in the volunteer state, and we're talking about a crime that is totally senseless, absolutely bananas. And it happened exactly 25 years ago today, as of right now when we're recording. Now, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive in. Let's on, the, it. on the morning of Monday, October 19th, 1998, Tennessee State Senator Tommy Burks and his wife, Charlotte, slept later than usual. It's a good year know, for Tennessee. Was it? Oh, was that like Peyton Manning time? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Something like that. I think that's the year they won. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. It was a good time. It was a good time for Tennessee.
0: Yeah. Normally, Tommy would get up and go down to the Hardys to get biscuits for him and his grandson, but he didn't have time that morning.
1: Love the Hardys biscuits.
0: Tommy owned a thousand-acre hog farm, which included an area for a pumpkin patch. So every fall, schools would bring <laughs> schools would bring children to visit the pumpkin patch and choose a pumpkin to take home with them. Our kid did that one year. I think when she was in like first grade. You remember?
1: Bro, it's pumpkin patch time.
0: We need to take her. Oh,
1: we're doing it.
0: I was in the food city today, and I, re- I remember that Halloween is real soon. We need to carp a pumpkin. Also, our dog is snoring right next to me. So Tommy loved being able to open up his farm to the kiddos, and on the morning of October 19th, he had a group scheduled to visit around 9 or 9.30. As Tommy was getting ready to head down to the pumpkin patch, his middle daughter called. It was her birthday, so him and Charlotte both talked to her on the phone and wished her happy birthday. After chatting on the phone... Tommy hopped into his four pickup truck and made the half a mile drive to a dirt road, the family called Hog House Road, which led to the Cumberland County part of the family's farm. From what I gather, I think his property spanned two counties. Like, I think it was in Putnam County and in Cumberland County, but I'm not 100% positive. Do we know
1: what his acreage was?
0: Yes, I told you that a second ago. I'm sorry. It's okay. It was a thousand acres.
1: Damn.
0: I know. It was like, I mean, he was Oh, I missed that for sure. Yeah, he was legit, like his career was, he was a hog farmer. I think he grew, uh, grew. I think he raised hogs and grew tobacco.
1: I'd say a thousand acres probably overlap a county or two.
0: Yeah, I can't even, like, I mean, I don't really understand acreage.
1: We don't even live on a full acre, bro. How,
0: how much do you reckon Meemaw's got around her house?
1: Mm, an acre or two.
0: Oh, I feel like she's got, because it goes up in them woods up the up the oh, mountain as oh,
1: she calls it I'm just oh uh, I'm just talking about like the area her house sits on and where all her stuff is parked and all that jazz uh, okay
0: well in a big
1: barn like in that area you know what I mean down there next to oh so-and-so's house okay yeah under... <laughs>
0: okay um <laughs> so okay so yes I you did had, it you, you did it um <laughs> So, And hopefully we can make it through this episode without you saying our kid's name so I don't have to edit it out like I've had to edit out every
1: I'll do my best.
0: So a little bit after Tommy left to go down to the pumpkin patch, Charlotte headed down there to help him get things ready for the kids that were going to be coming. They wanted to make sure that, you know, things were ready, things were safe. So as she was driving towards the farm, she saw the family's farmhand, Wesley Rex, driving real fast out of Hog House Road. So she pulled over to see what was up. Wesley ran over and said, "Something's bad wrong with Tommy. He's got blood coming out of his ear." Charlotte, oh,
1: told, that's trauma to the brain, I believe in it.
0: Probably, it's it's not injury. great. <laughs> it is not great. You do not want blood coming out of your ear holes, or you don't. You don't really want blood coming out of any of your face holes. No, uh,
1: yeah, what's so, a bummer.
0: Charlotte told Wesley to call nine one one while she went down the road to see Tommy. <laughs> when she got to his truck, she saw her husband still in the driver's seat, slumped over with his foot on the brake. She later explained, "Quote." I didn't know what had happened to him until I was holding him, and I felt the back of his head, and he had a big knot on the back of his head, and I looked at his face, and I could see the hole, end quote. So, this was 1998, and cell phones weren't a common thing, so Wesley drove over to Tommy's daughter Kim's house to call 911. Of course, Kim hauled ass over to the scene and got there about the same time as the rescue squad, followed closely by Detective Gary Roach. rescue squad. That's what my mom calls it. Detective (laughs) Gary Roach. And Chief Detective David Andrews, both of the Putnam County Sheriff's Office. Detective Roach went and looked at the body, turned his attention to Wesley Rex since he was the last person to see Tommy alive. According to Wesley, he'd gotten up that morning, ran over to the Hardy's for a biscuit. That Hardee's was popping.
1: Bruh. I mean, is Hardy's biscuits are fire? What are you talking about? And it this, make it tracks.
0: And that this biscuit is- and gravy? Ooh. This is also I saw it in the trash that you went there the other day.
1: Loaded omelet biscuit. You be up and behind me there, Miss Detective. You're on you're in that frame of mind solving murders and stuff.
0: You you know, I gotta be I gotta be watching you. So this is also the third episode that we have mentioned. Hardy's I have not done that on purpose. Hardy's just keeps popping up with their Shout biscuits. Out. So um after he got his biscuit, Wesley headed over to the farm to feed the animals and start setting up for the school kids. As he was driving down farm road. He saw a black car drive by, which is kind of weird because that was a road that really only family or people that worked on the farm used. The car drove down the road a little piece and then turned around. About that time, Tommy pulled up beside Wesley and was like, who was that? Wesley told him he didn't know who it was and they both just kind of shrugged it off. Wesley needed to go fix a hay trailer, I'm guessing for a hay ride, so he drove off. He looked back and saw that random black car pull up next to Tommy's truck. He drove about 100 yards when he heard a pop. He thought he'd blown a tire or run over something so he looked in his rearview mirror and when he did he saw that black car flying towards him. The car turned out of the farm road onto Highway 70 headed towards Monterey, Tennessee. That's where the Hardy's was by the way. So, Wesley, you got to get
1: a biscuit on the way out of town, son.
0: Keep that in your back pocket. So, Wesley went and fixed <laughs> up the went and fixed up the trailer and he headed back to the barn cuz he like he didn't think really anything of it on the way back. He passed by Tommy's truck, and he saw that Tommy, he was kind of bent over in the driver's seat, almost like he was reading something. So Wesley came back a few minutes later, this time on a tractor, and Tommy was still in that same position, which he thought was weird. So he went to check on him, and that's when he saw the blood coming from his ears, and he knew he needed to get help. So Detective Roach asked Wesley some questions about the black car. Wesley didn't know who the driver was, but he'd gotten a really good look at him. He was a white dude with glasses who was wearing a black jacket and gloves. Then Wesley showed the detective where the car had turned around, and lucky for them, there were tire tracks. So the crime scene investigators secured the area and got to work examining the tracks. In the meantime, though, the Putnam County detectives realized they actually didn't have jurisdiction because this part of the farm was in Cumberland County. So they called the Cumberland County Sheriff Butch Burgess, and his crew came out to take over the investigation. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation a.k.a. the TBI, also came out to help, and I'm guessing that's because Tommy was a government official. Okay, so Putnam County got there first, and they realized, oh, shit, this is not our jurisdiction. So they called Cumberland County. But I think the two counties worked together because, like, throughout the research, it kept going back and forth between Putnam County people working on the case and Cumberland County people working on the case. So I feel like
1: that's pretty typical amongst law enforcement. I mean...
0: I guess, especially like this is a more rural area.
1: Yeah. So I feel like I that mean, makes sense. I, that was pretty typical. I did some volunteer firefighter stuff a long, 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 long time ago for a very short amount of time. But and that's kind of the way all that stuff works is way out in the boonies. All of the counties kind of bounce things off of each other as far as equipment and resources and help each other out. So I imagine that's the same way with the law enforcement. You know,
0: I support it. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. So Putnam County medical examiner, Dr. Sullivan Smith arrived at the scene at around 9 30 AM and declared Tommy officially dead of a gunshot wound to the head. He was then taken for an autopsy, which was done by a different medical examiner, Dr. Charles Harlan. I accidentally stumbled on quite a bit of tea about Dr. Harlan.
1: Oh, we'll spill it sister.
0: Oh, I got you in 1993. Three female employees of the medical examiner's office accused him of sexual harassment. He was later found not guilty, and his lawyer insisted that the three women were motivated by greed rather than genuine injury. He went on to describe Dr. Harlan as, quote, a huggy, touchy-feely man who viewed his employees as friends, end quote. Please raise your (laughs) hand. Please raise your hand if you have been touched against your will by a gross, nasty, huggy, touchy-feely man. I feel like we should all be entitled to financial compensation because it is not fun.
1: I just don't understand. Like the, I've been around dudes that are like that. You know what I mean? That are just Mm -hmm. like, just try to be super like, like bro, like.
0: They're the where's my hug at guys?
1: Yeah, come. What are you? What are you doing? Like
0: being cringy and gross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, it's not fun. I've seen
1: the faces that plenty of high school age girls going up through high school myself being around those dudes or that guy specifically the where's my hug at guy and the face that they make when they're like oh hey it's never it's always an awkward exchange and i just i don't understand that dudes that are like have to put their hands on a woman like in a weird awkward way
0: yeah we're we're never jazzed about it
1: there was a guy that uh, I used to roll with for a very short amount of time. That you,
0: I you uh, don't even have to tell me. I know exactly. He is at, yeah. he is the king of where's my hug? Where's my at hug? Guys. At,
1: yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I, like he was the where's my hug at guy.
0: Great. I think that's one reason that I never really liked him. Yeah. So in 2002, Dr. Harlan pled no contest after being charged with putting a tracking device on a former female employee's car. So that's so
1: scummy, bro. Right. Ugh.
0: So I've never, Weirdo. I've never really been super clear on the exact logistics of no contest. So I looked it up. And basically, when you plead no contest, you're saying, yeah, I totes didn't do this, but the evidence definitely makes me look like I did. It's considered a neutral plea, like you're not pleading guilty, but you're not pleading not guilty. Right. I feel like if you acknowledge that there is enough evidence to prove that you put a tracker on somebody's car, you probably put a tracker on somebody's car. Yeah. Yep. So, in 2005, Dr. Harlan was found guilty of 20 counts of misconduct, and his medical license was permanently revoked. According to the Leaf Chronicle, which is a newspaper, he was accused of, quote, incomplete examinations, botched conclusions, and bizarre personal behavior that included storing body parts in his laundry room. End Whoa, quote. dude. Wait till you hear this story I'm about to tell you, because I was like, you've got, okay. Yeah.
1: This dude's a full-on stage five creeper.
0: When you hear this story, I'm about to tell you, you're gonna be like, what the actual fuck? Because I I literally, my notes, wrote what the actual fuck. So one time a family contacted his office because they needed a letter, like a a death notice sent to the bank. They probably needed to close their loved one's bank account. You have to prove that they actually died. Dr. Harlan sent a fax that said, and just said, quote, ML is dead, end quote that's the, the fact it like, i
1: did it i did the thing you needed right yep. that's it
0: so obviously fami- the family's like bruh and so they requested another letter so he sent a fax another fax this one he put on letterhead the new fax said quote ml is dead she is green and has maggots crawling on her end quote what wow. the like in? wow what kind of crazy person would do that i would like, they're already dealing with their dead loved one, and you're being weird? He, like, he testified in a lot of cases, That's and they had rowdy. to, like, go back and look at him because he just, he half-assed shit, and he was just a giant weirdo. I feel
1: like, wouldn't wouldn't a judge at some point, couldn't, by also the literal law, the judge pull the lawyers into his chambers and be like, hey, bro, like, have you smoked crack today? Are you okay? What's going on? Why are you being so weird?
0: So speaking of that, have you heard about Judge Baumgartner from Knoxville? Mm-mm. So he was like the judge. He was a big judge. So he was the judge for the the murder, the torture, rape and murders of Christian, oh, yeah. Shannon Christian and uh, Christopher Newsom. Yeah. Um And a as bunch soon of as people
1: you people. said, as soon as you started to explain that, I knew exactly what you're about to say.
0: Yeah. Um, and a bunch of other cases. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. He okay. ended up getting removed because he was like high. Like he was hopped up on pain pills a lot when he was like judging, judging. Um, And I'm pretty sure he was getting the pills from people that came through his court. So they had to go basically. I'll
1: give you community service. If you uh, throw me a few Xanax bars.
0: Exactly. And so they had to go back and like wild, (laughs) bro. They had to to like retry a bunch of his cases.
1: That is wild. And he did not, not get fired.
0: Oh, yeah. He like he was disbarred,
1: whatever disbarred,
0: Yeah. And then I feel like he died in jail. I think he died under weird circumstances, but don't hold me to it. But so thankfully, Tommy Burke's death was pretty straightforward. So he didn't have to deal with Dr. Harlan's fuckery. According to the autopsy report (laughs)
1: lightly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. According to the autopsy report, the bullet entered the left side of Tommy's face, quote, at the junction of the left side of the bridge of the nose and the left eyebrow end quote. So I'm like, where your nose and your eyebrow meets a nine millimeter bullet was found in Tommy's right parietal lobe. So that's kind of like in the back of your head. So when Charlotte was holding him and she felt that like it, it was basically where the bullet had kind of made his brain bulge out or yeah. made his, his head bulge out. So one so thing there that, was no
1: exit lines. No, there was
0: correct. One thing that confused me though, was the distance. And I was kind of asking you questions without context about this last night. So one source said that Tommy had suffered a distant gunshot wound, meaning that the barrel of the gun was at least two feet away when it was fired. But another source said that, quote, the shot was fired from close range because the skin on Burke's face was stippled or pockmarked from uh, powder burns and shell residue, end quote. So I what went was to the, the caliber. Nine, uh-huh. nine, yeah. Yeah. So I went to the Googs. And I Googled. What will Google tell you? Well, I Googled.
1: I'm sorry. I keep clearing my throat.
0: You do. I asked you to keep keep your phlegm out of the podcast.
1: I'm I'm doing my best. It's the time of year.
0: I Googled, do distant gunshot wounds cause stippling? A, I'm putting it on the record that I Googled that solely as research for my true crime podcast, Please No One Come arrest me i'm not doing it for the
1: tbi up in here
0: i know b i do not encourage you to google do distant gunshot wounds cause stippling because it will bring up some pictures you can't unsee literally i was sitting on our bed last night eating doritos and all of a sudden there's a picture of this man with like
1: ass stippling
0: (laughs) it he was missing a chunk of his head it went way past stippling and i was like oh Okay, that's enough for now. Reverse,
1: reverse, right? (laughs) Reverse.
0: (laughs) So uh, anyway, I learned from an article entitled Practical Pathology of Gunshot Wounds that, quote, the presence of stippling indicates that the muzzle of the gun was within two feet of the victim's body when it was discharged, end quote. So I'm still not really any clearer on the distance, Um, but we know that he was shot. That's what we know. So,
1: you mean you don't? What do you mean you're not clear on the distance?
0: Because, like, one report said that he that it was more than two feet away, one said that it was closer, but then, like,
1: so I mean, around two feet, you know what I mean?
0: But he would have had to have his car pulled up real close in order to be two feet away because he was the dude shot from his car into Tommy's car, like, Tommy was sitting in his driver's seat.
1: How tall is the guy in question? the perpetrator
0: about six feet
1: maybe he had long arms i don't know
0: maybe so i mean
1: they could have been leaning out of the window to talk i don't know and then bam
0: yeah so that same day wesley the farmhand worked with a police sketch artist to render a drawing of the spectacle driver of the black car the next day wesley was at a friend's house and they turned on the morning news so obviously the death of a state senator was big news So that was the main topic of the broadcast. At one point, the news anchor mentioned that Tommy had been up for re-election the next month, and it showed a picture of his opponent, Byron Looper. Wesley couldn't believe it. That was the guy he had seen in the black car. (laughs) Wesley called Charlotte to tell her, and she told him he needed to call the sheriff's office. So at this point... Byron Looper was already low-key on investigators' radar because they literally couldn't think of (laughs) anybody.
1: That is rowdy, bro.
0: (laughs) We're like less than a third of the way in. You want to buckle up for this one. So Byron Looper was already low-key on investigators' radar because they literally couldn't think of anybody else that would have motive to kill Tommy Burks. So Tommy Burks was a father of three, grandfather (laughs) of seven, and had been married to his wife Charlotte for 30 years. Though he had served in the Tennessee legislature for nearly three decades, having been elected to the Tennessee House of Representatives in 1971, then moving into the Tennessee State Senate in 1979, Tommy considered himself first and foremost just a good old hog farmer. The truth was, though, that he was an honest, well-respected, and dedicated legislator. Tommy was a conservative Southern Democrat, which is much different than what we think of when we think of modern Democrats. Like most of the people in his district, He opposed things such as abortion, the teaching of evolution, and a state lottery. Though I don't personally agree with that political stance, and that is all I'm going to say about my own politics in this episode, based on everything I've read about him, he truly was a good man, and he represented his constituents well, which is probably why he he was loved and respected by people on both sides of the aisle. But there was one piece of legislation that Tommy put forth that I have to mention because I'm absolutely here for it. So he sponsored a bill that would publicly shame first-time offenders convicted of DUIs by requiring them to pick up trash on the side of the road while wearing bright orange vests that said, I'm a drunk driver.
1: I respect the shit out of that.
0: Right? I For am a, a- drunk
1: listen, driving. Listen, and I'll be, I'll listen, the young, young me got away with it a couple times and I was lucky enough or unlucky enough to, you know, be around some people that it didn't work out so well for. And I was like, Ooh, and I, it, I, you just can't drive drunk. You just can't do it. It's an, yeah. it is a full blown no go. You just can't do it. Can't do it.
0: It is it's bad an option. And I, Ooh, I, especially
1: with Uber, bro. I,
0: and I am personally a fan and a proponent of public humiliation. Oh, so for sure.
1: what if you killed a baby you drunk driving goober?
0: Right. So Back to Tommy Burks. Despite Skin living it. despite living more than 100 miles east of Nashville, the state capital of Tennessee, Tommy had not missed a day of work in 28 years, even when there was a snowstorm that required him to use a tractor to pull his car out of the snow.
1: That dude is getting that attendance award.
0: He was equally dedicated to his family and his farm, and he returned home every single night, even when the legislature was in session. Despite all that traveling, Tommy rarely used the per diem he was allowed, which used taxpayer money to cover legislators' daily expenses while they were in session. According to one source, quote, Many legislators, including those living only a few miles from the state house, padded their expense accounts by charging the taxpayers for unnecessary hotel stays, end quote. That's not how Tommy Burks rolled. Another source noted, Tommy, quote, Preferred a little personal inconvenience to gouging taxpayers, and the taxpayers in his district were grateful to him for it, end quote. See? Um, They actually see that stretch between um, where he lived and Nashville uh, is actually named after him now, which I think is really sweet because he traveled it twice a day, a lot over 28 years. Um, So Tommy was universally adored and investigators kept coming back to the fact that the only person who had something to gain from his death was Byron. The public was also starting to think Byron was a little sus if for no other reason than he had horrible manners. Pearls were hardcore clutched because he had not come forward to express his condolences to Tommy's family. How dare you? Oh,
1: I want to
0: But beyond that, he also hadn't been seen since the murder, which Ooh, also... Laying low, are we? Yeah, it also made people's spidey senses tingle. So who is this Byron Looper dude anyways? Well, let me tell you. Byron Anthony Looper was born on September 15th, 1964. That made... just
1: sounds like an old son of a bitch name, you know? Right. Old Byron Luka. Byron. That, that son of a bitch. Everybody knows old Byron. He ain't worth a damn. True that. <laughs> I
0: true don't
1: know.
0: So, uh, he was a Virgo, and as someone with a Virgo rising, I speak for all Virgos when I say we do not claim him. Byron was born in Tennessee, but he moved to Georgia as a baby. Byron's parents divorced when he was young, and his daddy moved back to tennessee leaving byron with some serious daddy issues which would basically plague him for the rest of his life his daddy was retired military uh and then he became a principal and then a school superintendent he was a domineering man who demanded excellence from his son in nineteen eighty, uh. yeah i don't know in well i don't know personally because i have like the best daddy in the entire world but i know for some people that is a Bad situation. I think so it was a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of you. Uh In 1983, Byron Looper was accepted to the U.S. Military Academy, aka West Point. But according to the Tennessean, cool. he was accepted as an alternate, so his admission was dependent on someone else not going. Lucky oh,
1: him, so he was kind of accepted.
0: Yeah, lucky for him, someone dipped out. So Byron headed up, uh, headed on up to New York to begin his West Point journey. And yes. I had to Google where West Point was because I have an Alabama public school education and I don't know things like that. Did you know that West Point was in New York? Yes, ma'am. Well, you were also in the army. So that's yes, an, un- that's, an yes, that's an unfair. I figured it'd be in like Washington, D.C. or something. I don't know. No, ma'am. Uh, in 1985, Byron injured his knee. And according to him, that's why he had to leave West Point. Is that true? I don't know. According to the Tennessean, He did receive $90 a month from the government for a service-related disability, but some people thought Byron was milking it as an excuse to leave West Point, and I could definitely see that. So, A lot um, of
1: guys, that happens quite often in the military.
0: I could absolutely see that. Dudes go
1: in and think they can hack it, and then... The reality of it hits them and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not what I want to be doing. Yep.
0: These bones. Ow, hurt.
1: My knee hurts.
0: <laughs> yep. Um, I'm also not 100 percent clear on how he actually injured his knee because some reports say he fell off a horse and others say that he heard it playing soccer. So who knows? So after leaving West Point, Byron headed back down to Georgia where his mama was. And at some point, not sure when, because the research wasn't clear, he started school at the University of Georgia. Oh, some reports say he finished his degree there, while others say he transferred to Mercer University in Atlanta. Then some reports say he finished a master's degree at UGA. Some say he got an MBA from Mercer and others say he started grad school, but didn't finish. So here's the thing about that. There is this law, which you have heard me talk about, Rob, called Mm -hmm. FERPA. FERPA is the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. There are several components of FERPA but in this case specifically FERPA prevents schools from releasing any information related to a student's educational record without the express written permission of the student so there's certain information called directory information that schools can disclose uh, including dates of attendance but students can request that their directory information not be disclosed and from what i've read about byron looper i could absolutely see him making that request so in those cases. If anybody calls the college or university asking about a student, those institutions can neither confirm nor deny that that student went there. Institutions can disclose information under a subpoena, but his educational background wasn't really relevant to this. So I don't think anybody did that. So, with that in mind, yeah, with that in mind, we don't really know what degrees he had because we basically just have to take his word for it. And spoiler alert, he's not the most reliable narrator. At some point, either before, during, or after his college career, again, research is fuzzy, Byron got involved in politics. His history is a little muddled, so just know that he ran for office and he lost. Then he This guy as- just
1: sounds like a prolific bullshitter.
0: Oh, just wait. Uh, he worked as a legislative aide where he annoyed the shit out of everybody, and then he was somehow elected as president of the Young Democrats of Georgia. His one-year term did not go super well. According to one former young Democrat member, quote, Byron marched to his own drum and he more or less liked to run off at the mouth a lot. He had his own agenda, the Byron Looper show, and it turned off a lot of people, end quote. So this next part is based solely on the word of Byron Looper. So take that as you will. He decided to enroll at the Inter-American University School of Law in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Now, I don't know, much about Inter-American University School of Law, and so I'm not throwing shade at them specifically, but in my experience with people going to various professional schools, so law school, medical school, vet school, students tend to go to school in the Caribbean when their GPAs or their entrance exam scores are too low to be admitted to a school in the United States. What's interesting, though, is that according to the Tennessean, Byron allegedly scored a 37 on the LSAT, which in the late 80s and early 90s was around the 70th to 75th percentile, which is good. So that would not have stood in the way of him getting admitted to a U.S. Well, law that's school. like a
1: little better than average.
0: That's much better than average.
1: Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean math, I don't, It's just numbers and shit.
0: Well, it's hard. What are you eating?
1: Um, I ate a piece of candy.
0: I know you did. I can hear it. Um, I'm
1: trying to keep my throat lubricated so I don't have to c- clear it.
0: Okay. I I probably should
1: have drank something, but, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah. You you literally have a refrigerator in your office.
1: (laughs) I do. I didn't want to lean over.
0: (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so I don't know why he didn't go to school in the United States. Maybe he just liked Puerto Rico. But whatever the reason, Byron allegedly started school there in 1991. Here's the thing about Puerto Rico. The dominant language there is Spanish. And Byron was not fluent in Spanish. (laughs) Allegedly. Byron was told that he could take his tests in English, but then he was told he couldn't. So he sued the Inter American University School of Law for four million dollars. Wow. Quote based on the school's failure to treat Spanish challenged students with equal accommodations. End quote. I don't know if any of you could hear that, but that was the sound of my eyes rolling completely into the back of my head. You're gonna. Yeah. You're gonna go. It was to- audible. You're going to go to a school in a country whose primary language is Spanish, get mad that they teach in Spanish, and sue them? So the case was allegedly settled in 1995 before it went to trial, and Byron received a small sum. Is this true? Your guess is as good as mine. I was just
1: about to ask, how much is a small sum?
0: Yeah, the world will never know.
1: My, uh, maybe 20 bucks is a small sum. I feel like, you know right? what I mean?
0: But like, I mean, if you're, anything
1: over 20 is not a small sum for real.
0: I mean, if you're asking for 4 million.
1: Yeah. But if he got 40,000, that's not a small sum.
0: I mean, compared to 4 million, it is.
1: That's a bag, bro. Either I way. Mean,
0: <laughs> that would be nice. I don't know. So in 1992, Byron moved back to the States, this time settling in his birth state of Tennessee. He eventually settled in Cookville. Okay, I was gonna ask our friend Matt if it's Cookville or Cookville, because in Alabama we say Ville, like Jacksonville, Huntsville. But in Tennessee, a lot of times they say Vol, like Maryville. And I people say Knoxville. I a think lot. he
1: says it Cookville.
0: Okay. So uh, I'm pretty that, sure
1: he says it Cookville.
0: I literally, because I'm a crazy person, I went to YouTube and I looked up like news. I say
1: Cookville.
0: I, I looked up like shows YouTube videos about Cookville and they said Cookville. So we're going with Cookville. Don't get mad at me if it's Cookville. So he settled in Cookville as he felt like it was the perfect place to, to restart his political career. Like Cookville is the place. AKA, hey,
1: hey, don't nobody know me here. Right? <laughs> I can start my new grift here and start fresh grifting.
0: He also decided to switch political parties because he thought that would help him win. In a conversation this with
1: this guy a- is a full I mean, classic grifter.
0: Oh, hundo. In a conversation with a political acquaintance a few years earlier, Byron told her that political affiliation didn't matter to him and if he needed to change parties to get elected, then he'd do it. I feel like A, that is not a good sign and B, it says a lot about who he was as a person. Like you don't have any like moral compass if you're like, yeah, I don't, I'll do whatever as long as I win. Like that's, we don't live that. So ugh, buckle up. In 1993- Byron began an on-again, off again, five-year relationship with a woman named Terry Guess. Their relationship was fucking bananas. I feel like I'm saying bananas a lot in this episode. So
1: <laughs> every time I hear you say it, that's what I'm thinking.
0: I know. Later, when he was running for office, he put Terry in his political ads and introduced her as his wife, but they never got married. So he was a big old fat liar. So um,
1: and, but- Ding ding <laughs> In
0: 1994, Terry bought a house in Cookville that had, I mean, I guess, belonged to Byron's family from what I gathered. According to Terry, despite living there, quote, he never paid any of the rent. He didn't take the garbage out or change a light bulb. end quote. Terry would later sue Byron after he used his political position to make a fake deed illegally transferring ownership of the house from her name to his. Wow. He also broke into her house in 1997 and raped her, which resulted in a child whom we're going to talk about in just a second.
1: Mother of God.
0: Byron refused to take a paternity test, so Terry ended up suing him. Byron released released a statement to the press dogging Terry, saying that she, quote, left me with heart palpitations, a small box of memorabilia, and a red G-string, end quote. Paternity- this
1: motherfucker's <laughs> right? audacity is off the goddamn charts, bud. Right. <laughs> I'm talking about this dude. And it is only gets out of this world. <laughs>
0: it, it gets worse. So, paternity tests were eventually conducted, and Byron finally, many years later, admitted he was the father of that child. So, one of the resources that I looked at included the child's name. So, I did a quick search. And it looks like he may have been arrested for robbery and murder in 2017. I can't say with 100% certainty, but Byron's kid and the murderer had the exact same name, like first, middle, last. Uh, Their ages matched up and the kid resembled Byron. But I could only find two articles about the situation, one about the actual murder and one about the arrest, which I thought was kind of odd. And so that's why I'm being generally vague about it. But I was like, that's crazy. Like, That poor, poor Terry to have.
1: That's man. Right. This is the craziest story yet. Well, I I don't know. I just, it's, it's, this is, this is a full blown grifter. The grifter King, maybe.
0: I'm going to need you to hold on to your man panties for this next part. All right. My man
1: panties are in hand. Your manies. In, In 1994.
0: Byron decided to run for Tennessee State House of Representatives against a popular incumbent, and he got his ass handed to him. That did not discourage Byron, though. Two years later, he decided to run for a smaller office, Putnam County Tax Assessor. Byron was in it to win it and decided that he was going to show Putnam County just how dedicated he was to the role of tax assessor. So he had his name legally changed from Byron anthony looper to byron low tax looper the low tax part was in parentheses and from that point forward the media had to include low tax parentheses and all when they referred to him or he would send them a strongly worded letter demanding a correction
1: like they had to do air quotes
0: no it's parentheses like it's brian open parentheses low tax close parentheses looper no quotations parentheses I didn't know you you could have parentheses in your name, but apparently you can't. Here's the thing, though. The tax assessor has zero to do with raising or lowering taxes. The tax assessor's job is to simply estimate or appraise the value of your property. That's all they do. (laughs) How, How much you pay in taxes is based on the tax rate, which is determined by the city or county government. So Byron, open parentheses, low tax, close parentheses, looper, couldn't lower taxes regardless of what his middle name was. In addition to the middle name stunt, Byron also decided to play dirty. He put out negative ads saying that the current tax assessor, Bill Ripito, was cutting deals for his friends and benefiting from the, quote, good old boys club, end quote, which would become his go-to phrase. One source reported that Byron found out that Bill had gotten arrested for DUI at some point in his life, so he started using that to say that Bill was unfit to serve, neglecting to mention that he had gotten two to four DUIs himself. We love some cognitive dissonance. Love that.
1: This guy just is a no-fugs-given, grifting piece of shite. I'm talking about of the highest order. This guy is rowdy.
0: Yup. So election day rolls around and surprisingly, Byron won. It was by less than a thousand votes, but he won. There is a lot that could be said about his time as tax assessor, but I don't want this episode to be three hours long. So I'm just going to give some highlights. Number one, by the end of his first year, he had hired and fired more than 30 people, including people who had helped with his campaign. Several longtime employees of the tax assessor's office sued him after they were fired because they had supported the Democratic candidate. That was actually just the first of about a dozen lawsuits that were filed against him during his time as tax assessor. According to the Tennessean, one lawsuit once one lawsuit alleged that he tried to give away several parcels of land to neighboring White County as retribution to Property owners in Putnam County that he didn't vibe with. As it turns out, you can't do that. And the state officials ordered the land placed back on Putnam County tax rolls. This man literally was like, you know what? I don't like you. We're giving your land to a different county. Like, what? Wow. Sir, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> I just, I just, I don't understand, man. Right. Like,
0: he. So, he there
1: too many people, like, This is what happens when a grifter falls on their, just accidentally stumbles on a crowd of stupid people. It has to be stupid people around them to be like, ah, I mean, how does somebody like that obviously shitty people like have that many people still snowed? I just will never get it. As hard as I work to do the, to, to grind away and do my thing in life in a non grifter fashion, I see grifters just chugging along in their damn speedboats and shit, just making hay. And I'm like, I don't, how do people not see these fools? I just don't understand.
0: So, in this situation, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for one reason. I had no idea what the hell a tax assessor was. So, I Googled it and they, I mean, Google, Ask Jeeves was around in 1998, but they probably weren't using that much in Putnam County. So they just saw tax and they saw low tax. and They were like, yeah, I like low taxes. And they didn't realize that what the tax assessor does literally has nothing like it does. He doesn't handle taxes.
1: So I'm so blown away by this whole ordeal right now.
0: We're on page 20 of 35 pages of script. So if that tells you anything. So he was he was sued. 12-ish plus times. He was also more than happy to get some lawsuits going himself. He tried to sue to get phone records of county offices, which is already public information. And I feel like (laughs) you would think you would look into that before you started a whole ass lawsuit. Uh, The Tennessean also reported that he sued the Putnam County Election Commission, alleging voting machine irregularities, even though he had won the election. From what I understand, He thought he should have won by more votes. (laughs) He also just like wouldn't do his job and he was never in his office. One former employee said, quote, he may have put in 40 hours that first month, maybe, end quote. Another commented that Byron spent a lot of time in Puerto Rico and said, quote, what he did down there, I don't know. But he's the only person I know who could go to Puerto Rico and come back without a tan, end quote. (laughs) so that guy's name was joel reimer and he was one of the employees slash campaign workers who'd been fired that was a
1: very classy way of throwing shade might i add i love it love to see it
0: that's not even my favorite quote by him because in talking about working for byron joel said quote it's absolutely one of the sorriest things I've done in my life. I can't believe I helped force this guy into Putnam County. He's a scoundrel, just a scoundrel. End quote. I love that so much because I can literally in my head hear it. He's like, "That Byron's just sorry as I'll get out." Like the fact that he's oh, like, "Oh yeah, the sorriest thing I've done in my life." Like that is so peak Southern. Yeah, and I love it.
1: I feel like in in Southern, if you if somebody's sorry, I feel like it says a lot about. Like anytime I've ever heard somebody say that somebody was sorry, like I'm like, ooh, all right. You know, there's like you look at them a certain way. You know, I feel like it's implied that they kind of suck at everything or just in general.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's a whole level because I feel like if somebody if someone is called sorry, a lot of people will feel that way. Right. Like it's there's a consensus. You have to get consensus to to be like, you're sorry.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I worked a lot of blue collar jobs. And if sorry was in the descriptor of another person's work ethic at all, it was heavily implied that that son bitch wasn't worth a damn.
0: Yeah, because sorry is usually followed by son of a bitch. That's ah, sorry son of a well, bitch.
1: Well, that's a yeah.
0: And I feel like that very adequately describes Byron Low-Tax Sleeper. So oh, he's just
1: sorry son of a bitch.
0: What little work Byron did do was usually relegated to bragging about himself or shitting on the good old boys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line.
0: <laughs> During his time as tax assessor, he had his staff in 1998 put together a database of newspapers, magazines, and electronic media across the state. And he would just fax shit all over Tennessee. According to the Tennessean, investigators later found evidence of over 500 calls. And I'm guessing by calls, I mean, faxes. Place two numbers in the database. Leon Alligood, who wrote the Tennessee article I've been referencing, threw a little bit of shade. And I so love So he's
1: just shooting his tax propaganda to random numbers on a call list?
0: Yeah, like every media outlet in the state of Tennessee. So this guy that wrote the Tennessee article, so rowdy, in throwing the shade that I love, said, quote, Why media in Johnson City and Dyersburg would be interested in issues of Putnam County and its assessor of property was never clear, end quote. <laughs> when, the
1: classiest of shade.
0: I love it so much. When con- I mean, it's
1: so good.
0: It is when confronted about the ta- about the faxes and the suggestion that perhaps he should pay for his horn tooting faxes instead of charging it to the taxpayers. <laughs> byron said in full douche canoe fashion quote yes we send faxes i think i've been on the cutting edge of some things in the state there are people that own property in putnam county all over the state i need to keep them informed end quote again my eyes are rolling very very violently because my dude i can't uh his use of the media list put him under the radar of higher-ups and in march 1998 he was indicted on 14 counts of misuse of office of course he claimed innocence and insisted that the democrats and the good old boy network was just out to get him oh yeah now despite his pending indictment and being a laughingstock of the political scene in putnam county byron low tax looper pushed forward with the confidence of the mediocrist of white men and decided to run for state Senate against well-respected, well-loved Tommy Burks. Everyone was so confident that Tommy would win his this election that the Republican Party didn't even put anyone forward as an opponent. Like, they weren't going to run anybody against him because they're like, A, we like him, and B, no one's going to beat him. Right. Looper, full of nothing but hubris and audacity, entered his name without the support of the Republican Party. They high-key did not fuck with him. And because no one else sought the nomination, he won the Republican primary by default and became the official opponent of Tommy Burks. People knew that Byron didn't have a chance in hell of winning, but he had a plan that he felt was foolproof. He was going to eliminate his his opponent, literally. Byron had figured out that according to some old Tennessee election law, if a candidate for office died within 40 days prior to the election, then their name would be removed from the ballots. If Tommy died, there wouldn't be enough time to add a new candidate, so Byron would win by default. According to Putnam County Election Chairman Perry Bartlett, quote, it's such an obscure law that we didn't even know it existed before this occurrence, end quote. So instead of putting in the work to A, stop being a douche bucket, and B, run an actual campaign against his opponent and try to win fair and square, he's like, no, I'll just use this obscure law that no one's ever heard of and force myself on the people of Tennessee. It is gross, and I hate it.
1: Well, I mean, that—that that is how grifters be grifting, bro.
0: They put it's, so it's, much yeah. energy into being shady. Like, just do the work, and you don't have to be mm-hmm. shady. Mm-hmm. So, in summer 1998, Mr. Lotax reached out to an old high school friend, Sergeant Joseph H. Bond, known as Joe, who was a Marine recruiter in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Joe had only seen Byron three times in the 15 years since they graduated high school, so it was a little strange when Byron called out of the blue and was like, hey, let's stay in touch. Three weeks later, Byron called Joe again, this time asking if he could come and visit Joe in Hot Springs. Joe was like, sure, whatever, okay. So in June of 1998, Byron drove down for the weekend. During his visit, Byron mentioned that he'd been thinking about getting a gun and asked Joe a bunch of questions since he was in the military. He wanted to know the specifics of firearms, quote, different calibers, how accurate they were, the ranges on them, and asked about silencers, end quote. He also wanted to know which kinds of guns would be concealable in a crowd. Byron also casually mentioned that he had thought about killing his political opponent because, quote, if there were only two people on the ballot, if one of them died 30 days before the election, that he would automatically win, end quote.
1: What an absolute moron.
0: Joe basically just thought he was being a weirdo and didn't take him seriously. Well, a month or two later, Byron just showed up at Joe's apartment one day and he crashed there for a couple days. During this visit, he was adamant about getting a gun and he needed it ASAP because the election was coming up. According to later testimony by Joe Bond, he, being Joe, agreed to get a pistol for Byron, even though he didn't plan on actually getting him one. He basically thought Byron was full of shit and that, quote, the election would go ahead and happen and that that would be it and I wouldn't hear anything else about it, end quote. So as we've mentioned on this podcast, if you hear someone be like, I'm going to murder somebody, yeah. it's it's best practice to give someone a heads up. Like, see something, say something, especially in a situation like this where Byron is like clearly a giant fucking weirdo at best it, or a batshit crazy psychopath at worst. And I don't mean to be ugly, but based on his behavior, as well as the pictures of his face that I have seen, he dead eyes looks like somebody that would commit a mass shooting. Gotta take that shit seriously, y'all. Like
1: I just don't get it. Right. Man, this guy's weird. He's doing some weird shit. Man, he just showed up and crashed into my spot. He's talking about murder again. That's weird shit. Ah. He's just being crazy. Oh, just I don't hang around people that talk about murdering other people. Uh except I, for
0: your wife.
1: <laughs> well, you know, in in the context of I'm going to murder a people. That's
0: you true. Know what I, <laughs> usually I when I, I talk about murdering somebody, it's I'm talking about you, so yeah, yeah, you better sleep with one eye open and that's CPAP protected.
1: How long not you leave the CPAP out of it? You know what I mean? Like, I don't I'm gonna,
0: know, I'm gonna try to mention it in every episode from now on. I don't so, think
1: a CPAP has anything to do with this.
0: After Byron left, he started blowing up Joe's phone, like legit like four times a day every day wanting to know if joe had gotten him a gun yet this is a red flag like a giant red flag like i feel like this is dipping almost into like accessory to murder at this point like Mm -hmm. what more does this man have to do to show you he wants to murder somebody so joe kept making excuses for why he hadn't gotten him a gun byron went so far as to send a money order to joe for 150 dollars, but joe allegedly never got byron a pistol so let's let's go back, well, I guess forward from where we were in this story, to October 1998, right after the murder, okay? So Wesley, the farmhand, has identified Byron Looper as a driver of the black car, and cops wanted to chat with Low Tax McGee, but he was nowhere to be found. Around that time, Joe Bond got a call from his brother, and his brother was like, do you see what your buddy did? And Joe was like, what are you talking about? And his, his brother <laughs> was like,
1: like, some Southern shit.
0: I could hear it. And his brother was like, bruh, the cops in Tennessee want to talk to Byron about the murder of his opponent in the Senate race. And Joe was like, Oh shit. So he found a criminal defense attorney and talked to him. And the attorney was like, yeah, you should have reported that like yesterday. And so Joe called the Putnam County Sheriff's office and told them everything. Cause I think he was, Scared of being charged with accessory to murder. So, yeah, please put Byron's home under surveillance just in case he made a pit stop at his crib. And at 1 a.m., you on, know, on Friday, October the 23rd, four days after the murder, Byron strolled up into his house as if he didn't have a care in the world. The cop that was doing the surveillance shift called for backup. Uh, then he went up to Byron and flashed his badge. And according to the Tennessean, Byron, quote, reacted with nonchalance, end quote. Like, I love that he was acting as if he had no idea, like, hello, officer, what are you doing here? Why would you want to speak to me? So, Officer Michael Matt. That's how they do. Yeah. Officer Michael Matt, which is an interesting name, told Byron. Oh,
1: Michael Matt.
0: <laughs> that the DA's office wanted to talk to him and that a supervisor would be there soon. The Tennessean reported, quote, while Matt stood on the front porch, Looper went inside and disappeared from view for a few moments. He returned to the living room where Matt observed him sitting in a chair, reading his mail. End quote. Couple things. I feel like allowing a murder suspect to go into their home unaccompanied and disappear from view is probably not a great call. Like, I mean, I'm not a police officer, but that doesn't sound like good protocol. Also, I feel like Byron was trying way too hard to pretend like he was chill when he is a man with historically zero chill. Like, I'm just going to sit here. He also allegedly offered the officers a Coke. Like, the beverage.
1: <laughs>
0: She'll clarify. So, Y'all want a bump before I go in there? <laughs> nope. I just got some Coca-Cola. So, <laughs> the TBI eventually showed up. They arrested Byron, and they took him to the Cumberland County Jail, where he was put in a special suicide prevention cell, which is painted pink. Because, quote, the unusual paint scheme was thought to have a calming effect on troubled prisoners, end quote. Byron's arraignment was the next week. An arraignment, by the way, is your first court date after being charged with a crime. And in news that is surprising to no one, Byron was a shit ass who made everyone connected to this trial's life miserable.
1: Of course.
0: There's a ton that I could go into about all of, this, all of his shenanigans, but again... We'd be here for seven hours. So to summarize, he changed attorneys no less than six times leading up to the trial. And in a few sources, I saw eight. One attorney filed a motion to remove himself as Byron's attorney saying, quote, it has come to the point where I can no longer ethically represent Mr. Looper, end quote. No, He told the judge why, but no one knows what he meant by that except for the judge because the judge had it sealed. Womp womp. I'm nosy. I want to know what, what that meant. Uh, his, His attorneys tried more than once to have the judge removed from the case, and Byron claimed that District Attorney General Bill Gibson was out to get him, at one point saying, quote, there's no question that I, more than anyone, want to try this case, but I want it to be a fair trial. I don't want to be railroaded by my political adversary, Billy Gibson, end quote. How was the District Attorney General the political adversary of the fucking tax assessor of Putnam County? like yeah. what uh, so here are some highlights from the actual trial rowdy I know so Bill Gibson again the district attorney general was one of the prosecutors he opened the trial by saying quote Byron Looper is a man obsessed with a burning desire for power he knew he didn't have a chance in a fair election to defeat Tommy Burks and that caused him to formulate a plan to resolve this election with a bullet instead of a ballot end quote that was good <laughs> like i saying should've, he should have gotten paid extra for that Uh, Byron's defense attorney countered, quote, he was the first Republican elected in Putnam County, at least in recent memory, and he made quite a name for himself, but not a good name. He had a bombastic campaign style, a way of offending anyone that was status quo, and he did it repeatedly, end quote. Sir, you're the defense attorney. But he went on to say, quote, Byron did not do it. Byron could not have done it. Byron indeed had no reason to do it. He had nothing to gain from it, end quote. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is just a big fat lie. Like, it's mind-boggling to me that he could stand up there and just fucking lie to her. Like, how is that not not perjury? Like, of course he had a reason. And of course he had something to gain. Like, that weird-ass law. Like, duh. I I, I don't like people lying. Uh, The prosecution brought forth 34 witnesses one remember how i told you earlier to keep this hardy's thing in your back pocket yeah also i attribute that to erica kelly from southern fried true crime which is an amazing podcast that is her i'm borrowing it uh so one of the witnesses was the manager of that local hardy's the one that wesley went to that morning and the one that tommy usually went to to get a biscuit for him and his grandson she was working the drive-thru window on the morning of the murder And the first customer of the day was a giant turd. I guess they messed up his biscuit or something. And according to the manager, he, quote, seemed like he was in a hurry and nervous, upset that he had to wait for correct food, end quote. He was showing his ass a little bit. And when he finally got his food, he just like threw his money at the drive-thru window and pulled off in his black car. The manager identified Mm -hmm. the disgruntled customer as none other than Byron Looper. Had he not shown his ass, she never she never would have thought anything like it would have just been another day at the Hardys but no, you want to get out there and be a duty and now you're on trial for murder
1: how you do anything is how you do everything
0: okay um yeah that yes um
1: that's just that's a quote that I don't know like well,
0: he, he did everything shittily
1: right that's like like just that's what I'm saying. Something as simple as being at Hardy's having to wait on your food because that's fast food everywhere. Like, and that's how they, yeah, yeah,
0: yep. Another being witness, shit
1: ass, just everywhere. It's
0: just a bad call. Yeah. Another another witness who was a political consultant from Louisiana testified that he had answered an ad Byron had put in a political magazine looking for someone to help him with his campaign. They set up a phone consultation, and at one point in the call. The witness asked Byron how much he thought a congressional race would cost. Byron responded, not much, about 35 cents, which, according to prosecutor Bill Gibson, was the price of a bullet. The most damning witness was none other than Bond, Joe Bond, because in addition to all the stuff I told you earlier, Joe testified that Byron randomly showed up at his house on the night of the murder he told Joe, "I did it, man." And Joe's like, "Did what?" And Byron said, "And I quote, I killed that dude. I busted a cap in his head." End quote. When I tell you this is the widest, manasius, envelopian, white, <laughs> white, a, white, the white
1: of the caucuses,
0: <laughs> and he is saying that he busted a cap, sir. That's, that's funny. Absolutely not. Uh Joe, he somehow still thought that Byron was full of shit. And he was like, What dude did you bust a cap in? And Byron said, Quote, the guy I was running against, you'll cover for me, won't you? If you walk into court in your dress blues and tell them I was with you, everyone will believe you, end quote. And again,
1: That's wild, dude.
0: Joe Bond still did not think Byron was being serious. Like I feel like he would have had to drag a dead body into that man's apartment for him to believe that he murdered somebody so byron borrowed a suitcase from joe and he dipped out the next morning and joe didn't think anything of it until he got that phone call from his brother i the mean de-
1: this guy you could sell them oceanfront property in arizona i feel like
0: for sure what so goober! the defense's main witness was byron's mama who claimed that byron was at her house in georgia that day because when she got home from work the evening of the murder, the bathroom was a mess and there were three towels on the floor.
1: Apparently, oh,
0: apparently Byron needed three towels when he showered. Two to walk on, one to draw off with. Bro, have you not heard of a bath mat or like drying your feet off before you step out of the shower? Why are you wasting towels? That's some... That's, that's weird. Some...
1: He was raised funky.
0: Yes. Also, I forgot to put this in my notes, but I just remembered it. Um, So I was reading his appeal documents and they so there was a lot of information that I had to leave out. He was in Georgia for a few days right before the murder. Um, And at one point, his mama had to walk his dog. Do you want to know what his dog's his puppy's name was? Yes, it was low tax.
1: That's hilarious. He, He
0: named his puppy fucking low tax. That he was (laughs) When when I tell you, had this not happened, he would have ended up being a a mass shooter. He just was fucking crazy. So it took the jury a whole two and a half hours to reach a verdict. So he was found guilty of first degree murder. Byron's crime technically qualified as capital murder, as we know. Oh
1: murder with other shit.
0: Yep, capital murder is typically murder plus mother shit. In this case, the other shit was murdering a government official. In the state of Tennessee, first degree murder can be punishable by death if, quote, the murder was committed against a national, state, or local popularly elected official due to or because of the official's lawful duties or status, and the defendant knew that the victim was such an official, end quote. So, surprisingly tommy's family requested that byron not be given the death penalty and instead that he be given life in prison without the possibility of parole so when a person is sentenced to death there's this there's a very lengthy appeals process that drags everything out like it can drag things out for there are people that have been on death row for like 20 30 years and yeah. tommy's family didn't want to keep opening that wound and i can't say i blame him like just let him fucking rot in prison Um, Unfortunately, he didn't do as much rotting as everyone would have liked because on June 26, 2013, 48-year-old Byron Low-Tax Looper was found unresponsive in his cell and pronounced dead at 11.10 a.m. So the autopsy determined his cause of death was, quote, hypertensive and atherosclerotic cardiomyopathy, end quote, which basically means his heart gave out due to high blood pressure and hardening of the arteries, he also had a toxic concentration of the antidepressant nortriptyline in his system. I'm not sure how he had gotten a toxic level of that in his system. Um I, also, I don't know how many antidepressants. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, like it. I mean it's a it's an antidepressant, so like Prozac, Lexapro, something like that. But yeah, how much do you have to take for it to be toxic? toxic. And how did you get that in prison? Um
1: Love it, man. You can get anything in there within a the prison wallet.
0: But who's like, yeah, let me get hopped up on antidepressants? I want to be super not depressed. Um, it is important to note. Well, there, I don't
1: know. He's that, he, that, he's stupid. <laughs>
0: he was stupid. There was an incident just a couple hours before Byron was found unresponsive. Apparently, he'd attacked a pregnant staff counselor after overhearing that he was gonna be placed into the prison's gin pop. And he was worried that he would be harmed by other inmates because he was a high, fr- high profile prisoner.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Literally, no one would have given two shits except for that he was a, a douche bucket. And so someone probably would have shanked him for that, but not because he, he was scared. Was. Yeah. Um, his family thought his death was a little suspicious. So they had an independent autopsy done in Georgia, but I couldn't find if the medical examiner ever released a final report. <laughs> Upon hearing of Byron's death, Former State Representative Henry Fincher said, quote, For me personally, it's good riddance to bad rubbish. That man killed my friend. He killed a father, a grandfather. He assassinated a political leader in an attempt to take over. It's probably not the Christian thing to do to say you're glad that someone is dead. I'm not glad he's dead, but I got to tell you, there's a grim satisfaction in it, end quote. Yes, sir. I agree with you. So you may all be wondering, Who won the state Senate race if Tommy Burks was dead and Byron Looper was in jail? Well, at the time, you could be charged with a crime and still be in the election. You just couldn't have, you couldn't be convicted of the crime yet.
1: Do not tell me.
0: Folks was like, hell no. We are not fixing to let this grease ball win this seat. So people started working to push Tommy Burks' wife, Charlotte, as a riding candidate. This was unheard of. A riding candidate had never won in Tennessee, but people were pulling out all the stops to get Charlotte's name out there. So even though flipping that historically Democratic seat would have been a huge win for the Republican Party in Tennessee, even the Republicans officially backed Charlotte. Two weeks after her husband's death, Charlotte Burks was elected state senator for the 15th District of Tennessee, winning with 90% of the votes. I am. Charlotte would go on to serve in the state Senate until 2015 when she retired. During her time as state senator, Charlotte worked in the same office Tommy had used for 30 years, and she kept his nameplate outside the office door with hers placed underneath it. And one of the first pieces of legislation that she put through was one getting rid of that weird ass election law that led to the death of her husband. That's crazy. And that was the case. Of Tommy Burks and Byron, low-tax looper, parentheses and all. So, Rob, final thoughts.
1: I mean, that is the griftiest of stories that I've ever heard. I mean, I, I am befuddled, to say the least, at this man's actions.
0: I'm gonna... What
1: a world-class piece of shit. <laughs> I I'm... mean...
0: Hold on one second. I'm gonna send you a picture of this duty. <laughs> that was the first thing in to my head was duty. Um,
1: so <laughs> duty. Oh, duty head.
0: <laughs> to show you what this dude looks like, because oh, he just duty,
1: son of a bitch.
0: He looked like a freaking duty. Um, do you have your phone with you? Uh,
1: I, yep.
0: Behind the scenes, folks, we record in separate rooms. Okay, so I just sent you the picture. I want to get your thoughts on this man. Tell me he's not the whitest person you've ever seen. He
1: looks like a grifter. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He has a very punchable face.
1: He looks like he tells a lot of bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. My bullshit meter is very sensitive. I've been bullshit my whole life. so.
0: Can you believe that that face literally said that he busted a cap in somebody? That's funny. Like, oh my God. Yeah, this was a crazy one. I'm, I'm trying to do my best to pick out good ones that will shock you a little bit
1: i mean that, that dude's sucked.
0: like he sucked and it what's and like i don't think tommy had ever even met this dude like tommy wasn't campaigning at all like he was just going about his life like you know because everyone knew he because he was he was so loved by his his county and his district and for this right butthole to like come in and just you know Take his life. That's just, I can't. The only thing that is good is from uh, the autopsy report, the medical examiner said that it, Tommy didn't even see it coming. Like it was instantaneous. He wouldn't have even had time to register that he had was about to get shot. Well. And so that's good. On his daughter's birthday.
1: That's some dark shit.
0: Right? So sad. I hate shitty people. Okay, well, thank y'all for listening to the It's Murder, Y'all podcast. As always, sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tell your mama. See y'all next week. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise.
1: Raise hell, raise hell.